Good day, fellas. Welcome to Fridays with the fellas. Glad to have you along. We're talking about manhood, living lives of wisdom. It's a good day to do that because it's Friday, not because it's the end of the week, but because the Lord Jesus has made this day and he has called us to live it out to his glory and live wisely as men. So it's a good day to do that. It's a good day to rejoice and be glad that he is king, that he is ruling over all. Glad to have you with us. Hey, Keith. Good morning, Lewis. So last night, uh, meeting with our guys uh, here in my home, and just another reminder of how important it is for us as men to focus on living wisely, living well. And it comes up almost every week as we're talking. You know, we get some new guys in here and they're coming from uh, traditional church backgrounds. And what becomes clear again and again is that by and large, the church is really failing at teaching men how to live life. And I'm not going to I'm not going to go off on a rant here. I don't think <laughs> although I want to What is it how do we typically judge Christian maturity in our churches? It seems like it's usually how much do you know and especially how much do you know about whatever our particular religious tradition is. If you come from a reformed background, who are the reformed guys you have read? Right? Are you studying deeply on the uh, the writings of men so that you can articulate systematic theology better? And if so, then that's the mark of maturity. Here's the problem for men, especially young men, they couldn't care less about that. And of course, the, the older guys would say, oh, that's a problem. We've got to help them appreciate our fathers in the faith and, and the traditions and so on. So we've, we've got to find a way to do that and make it more practical to them and more appealing to them, that kind of thing. And the problem is we are still pushing these guys to study the writings of men. Rather than the word of God and to live the life that God calls us to live. And these young men are hungry to figure out life. And you hand them a book on reformed theology or whatever your background is. And they're like, okay, great. But my marriage is not what I thought it was going to be. My kids are a mess. What do I do about work? Those kinds of things. And I want to take you to uh, an Old Testament passage and, and a, a prophet before we get to the proverb. Because God tells us what he wants from us. Now, this is written to uh, a Jewish audience in the Old Covenant. But I think it's true for us in the New Covenant as well. And I think it's uh, just assumed it's all over the New Testament. So here it is. This is uh, Micah. 
And he says, with what shall I come to the Lord? I bow myself or and bow myself before the God on high. Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with year, yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Do you see what he's saying here? All right, when I come to the temple to worship God, what should I bring? What does he want from me? Does he want me to bring all these calves, bulls, goats? Does he delight in 10,000 of them? Should I bring my firstborn? Should I bring my son and offer my son for, for my rebellious acts? Now, what's interesting about this is the answer to at least the first question is yes. God himself is the one who prescribed all of these sacrifices to be brought to the temple and offered to the Lord in worship. But is that really what he wanted? Was God thinking, you know, what would really please me is if all these people killed a bunch of animals at the temple. That's what I'm really after. That is, that is the heart of mankind. This is what I designed man to do kill a bunch of animals and bring them to the temple. No, that, that's not it. Now, yes, he did command those things, but there was a reason why he commanded those things. And we won't take the time now to go through the old covenant structures for that. But even here, God through his prophet is saying, these sacrifices have a place, but here's what I really want from my people. It's verse eight. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Yes, I've given you all this religious, sacrificial, priestly activity to do. And again, there's a purpose for that. But here's what I really want. Here's what is good, God says. Do justice. Do the right thing. Love kindness or love mercy. Love it. And walk humbly with your God. Now, think about that. Compare that to what we so often hear that Christianity is all about. In some traditions, Christianity is you go to a service and you receive the sacraments as though that's what God wants, even though there's no mention of sacraments anywhere in the Bible. In others, it's like I said earlier, it's reading the right theology books and having the right theology. When they talk about loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, what they mean is learn our religious tradition, read the right theology, proclaim the doctrines of grace, for instance. And love them. That's what it means to love God. In other situations, it's, uh, you know, have your devotions every morning, go to church, be nice, that kind of thing. God says, here's what's good. Here's what I require of you. Do justice. Do the right thing. 
is that your greatest pursuit? Did you get up this morning and think, okay, how can I do justice today? How can I do what is right in God's eyes today? This is what he wants me to do. I'm a husband. What is the right thing to do? Love my wife. Cherish my, my wife. Lead my wife. Be the head of her and, and my household under the command of Christ. I'm a father. <coughs> Excuse me. What does God want? What is the right thing to do as a father? Raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm a neighbor. What is the right thing to do with my neighbors? Be a good one. Love my neighbors. What about my enemies? Love my enemies. Pray for those who persecute me. What about money? Use it well. Save it. Don't go into debt. Be generous with it. Build well so I can be uh, a blessing to others. Be patient when wronged. I mean, that's what he wants for me. Do what is right. Do what is just in his eyes. And love mercy. That would fit those categories of loving my enemy and being a good neighbor and uh, letting love cover a multitude of sins. Walk humbly with my God. Walk through today living the life he's given me to live humbly before him and with him. That's Christian maturity. That's what God wants of mankind. And it sure seems to me like we have put that on the back burner or sort of assumed it or set it off to the side while we instill our religious traditions as the, the top priority. Even Bible study. Imagine if you led a man to the Lord and he says, okay, I believe. Now what? Well, now you think, oh, I need to disciple him and get him into some discipleship groups. You're going to tell him what? Go to church on Sunday, join a small group and start reading your Bible. But you're probably not going to be able to understand your Bible. So here's a stack of books to read. You're going to give him books that... Uh, are in line with your theological tradition, some of the books that have been most impacting to you or whatever. What we don't tend to do is say, all right, let's talk about your budget. Because God has entrusted wealth to you and money is such a huge part of our lives. So we're going to discuss how God wants you to spend your money and save your money. All right, you're a husband. Let's talk about what it means to be a good husband. You're a a father. You're about to be a father. You're dating. Maybe he's a single guy. You're dating or you want to be dating. Let's talk about becoming the kind of man that will be a good husband. Let's talk about not being lazy. Let's talk about your hobbies and some of those things that maybe need to be replaced with hard work. It's that Ken says, I'd give him exalted. <laughs> See, now you force me into a dilemma because <laughs> that's my book. <laughs> and I want to say, no, don't give him that. <laughs> but on the other hand, that book does talk a lot about these things, doesn't it? We need, we so desperately need to teach men to live wisely. How rare is it? That church leaders exhort men to live wisely, to live wives of, lives of wisdom. We have 
this entire book called Proverbs that is nothing but wisdom. We have Ecclesiastes. The New Testament is so much about wisdom. We are called to live wise lives, justly walking humbly with the Lord, and we focus on it so little. All right, we are going to look at Proverb, but I want to set up with that. So here's the Proverb. The speech of the righteous bears the fruit of wisdom, but one who speaks perversion will be destroyed. The lips of the righteous know what is pleasing, but the speech of the wicked is perverse. All right, so you can see where this is going probably. The speech of the righteous bears the fruit of wisdom. So the question is, all right, you're going to teach someone to be wise. You want to be growing wisdom. Where do you get it? You get it from righteous people. The speech, the words of the righteous bear fruit of wisdom. So who do you listen to? Who do you learn from? If you want to improve, if you want to live more wisely in life, who are you seeking out? Well, Solomon would exhort you here, seek out those who are righteous. We have access to so much media today, don't we? There are thousands of podcasts clamoring for your attention. There are millions and millions and millions of books. You can download them on Kindle, Kindle app, be reading in 30 seconds, whatever book you want. A lot of them are free. There are a lot of free resources out there like that. YouTube, Twitter, or now it's called X. Right? There, there are so many influences. And if you're older school, there's people on television, cable television, that are gonna try to tell you how to live your life. There's documentaries, those kinds of things. We are inundated. Do you stop and evaluate the person you're listening to? Have they won the right to give you advice? And if so, how do you grade them? Is it because they're good looking, they have a great presentation, they seem to know what they're talking about? Do you check into their character? Are they righteous? Do they do the right things? You know, the proverbial uh, example of the plumber whose uh, pipes at home leak. I know of financial planners who are, uh, what shall I say, they, who have been in significant credit card debt most of their life and who uh, have been advising others financially for decades and their own finances are a mess. Would you seek that person when it comes to, is that a good person to tell you how to do it? I mean, I suppose there are some people that know better than they do, but... Uh, I can't spell says Second Peter 1, 2 states when you're adding to your faith, we look to our being cleansed by Christ to grow in holiness. Uh, are you suggesting that actually pursuing righteousness uh, Oh, okay. So you're saying 
What, and what do you mean by growing in our walk? See that I agree. I think I agree with you. But my concern is we evaluate growth not the way God does. So I don't, I'm not suggesting you're doing that. Uh, maybe you're, I can't, uh, this is the problem with texting, right? With uh, text. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> what angle you're taking. And I've got something in my mind. I read you. So, so please don't hear me uh, pushing back. I may be pushing back, but I don't know what I'm pushing back against because I'm clear. Are you, are you suggesting we should, we must grow in holiness? Uh, growing at our walk is that, and I agree. And I'm saying this is, this is the walk that the Bible speaks of much more than reading theology books since that's not in the Bible anyway, right? Anyway, sorry, I, I should have uh, thought that through more before I addressed it. Because um, it sounded like I was pushing back and I didn't mean that. Do you seek out those who are righteous? Solomon says, their words... Their words bear the fruit of wisdom. The righteous person, when they speak, you can grow in wisdom by listening to them. That's important. We want to grow in wisdom. Seek out righteous men. Do you have some in your circles? Do you, do you have some in your church, some brothers who are righteous and who are maybe a little further down the path than you are? If so, listen to them. Jesus said this, right? It's out of the heart the mouth speaks. If your heart is filled with wickedness, then you're going to speak evil. If your heart is filled with righteousness, you're going to speak what is good and wise. And we need that. It says here, the lips of the righteous know what is pleasing or acceptable. Righteous people Know the right words to say, the wise words to say, the, the words that uh, will, will be favorable, not in a manipulative or deceitful sense, but they're the right words to be saying. They're, they're acceptable to others because they're right. So I think we need to at least give some thought to evaluating the character of those we listen to, that we learn from, that we're willing to apply. So you know, you buy a book, maybe seek out the, the author. Now, it is certainly true that even unrighteous people can write truth, can speak truth, right? So these are proverbs. That means they're, they're generally true, but not, uh, not universally true. There are exceptions. But generally speaking, it behooves us to find men who are pursuing righteousness as God defines it and learning from them. So when it comes to money and family and jobs and so on, find righteous men to learn from, to grow in wisdom. And let me bring this around the other side too. Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you seeking to do what is right before the Lord? Then you have words that will bear the fruit of of wisdom. You need to speak them. I know we've covered this ground before, but I'm going to keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it. There is a generation my age and a generation older than me that, first of all, lack a lot of wisdom. And secondly, have 
been told that it's humble to present yourself as though you have nothing to offer. You're just a sinner saved by grace. You're just one beggar helping another beggar find bread. And it's arrogant to think that you have accomplished anything, that you actually have grown in righteousness, and that you're, you're wise. There, there's, a, there's this false unbiblical humility that has um, become the, the ocean in which so many Christians my age and older swim in. Or there's another section that just discourages pursuing of righteousness anyway. It's like grace, the grace of God, somehow eliminates actual pursuit of righteousness, which is absurd biblically. So there's, on one hand, there's a gap missing of righteous men to seek wisdom from. It's just the sad truth. I've, I've talked to guys who kind of have this default setting of, oh, if they're, wise, if they're old, uh, older than me, they're wiser, so I'm going to listen to them. I think, well, look at their lives because there's a lot of men my age and older that I could not encourage someone to be taught by. So there's, there's that mentality. There's the lack of wisdom, and then there's this, this false humility, right? Let me tell you, if you are righteous... Don't be afraid to call yourself righteous. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to claim you're sinless. Certainly don't claim you're sinless. <laughs> right? But that's what we're afraid of. Oh, if I actually say I'm righteous, then everybody's going to think I'm claiming I'm sinless. No. The Bible calls all kinds of people righteous. Are you doing the right thing? Are you loving your wife well? Are you raising your kids faithfully? Are you handling your money well? Are you, are you working hard? You're not lazy? Are you loving your neighbor? That's righteousness. Are you doing good to others? Are you generous? That's righteousness. Do you keep your eyes from evil? That's righteousness. So if you are righteous, then your words bear the fruit of wisdom. They speak what is favorable. Other people need your words. So if you are righteous, I am almost begging you. <laughs> Find some men, probably a little bit younger than you, and give them your words of wisdom. They need it. They need to hear from you. We all need to find the righteous to receive words of wisdom, and we need to be righteous and give words of of wisdom. It's how we all help our people, our men, uh, the, the men that we're nearby to live the life God wants us to live. Lon says, do you think godly wisdom should be shared with unbelievers? Can they grasp it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. A uh, similar question came up last night uh, with our guys. Uh, I think they can to a degree. I think there have been other generations where biblical wisdom was the received wisdom. It was sort of the standard by which wisdom was evaluated. And so there were men who didn't 
have true faith, but you might call it common grace. They, because they were uh, in a, an environment, a culture that held this as you know, received wisdom, they acted better than their heart believed. Does that make sense? So yeah, I think there is value there. Uh, I think if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, obviously there's a limit to where that goes. Here's, here's this conversation. I'm thinking back to what we talked about last night. So we are probably all know people. Uh, we probably all know people who, um, who make some pretty wise decisions, but they're not, they're not believers. They're not Christians, but they make pretty wise decisions and they live a pretty good life. They're living life largely the way God designed it to be lived. Not in every way, but in a lot of ways. And, and their life bears that fruit. But here's the thing. First of all, obviously, pursuing that wisdom doesn't, isn't going to help them in the final analysis. Right? So they don't have the enduring hope, and they certainly don't have hope on Judgment Day. So that's, that's, it's certainly not complete. And then secondly, what happens when tragedy comes? What happens when their wise choices that have been leading to good ends don't anymore because God and his providence brings devastation. Now they collapse. So that's why at the end of the day, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have to start there because though generally speaking, this is how life is to be lived. It is God's prerogative and his usual practice to bring hardship for seasons in our lives. It tests our faith. So when we act wisely and good things come of that, yeah, Christianity is easy. This is great. We love Jesus. And then when he says, okay, I'm going to test your faith and it gets hard, that's why it's called a test, a trial. Okay, do I love Jesus even if doing A plus B does not equal the blessing of C right now? And that's for the unbeliever. You know, he's, he's going to fall apart because he's been doing A plus B and it's equal to C until it doesn't. So yes, I do think there's wisdom there. And I think we should tell men this is the right way to live. But realize there's a, a limit to their implementation and to handling it when hard things uh, come. So uh, yes, but it's not enough, obviously. And for the unbeliever, of course, the end goal is not simply to teach them how to live well. It's lead them to Jesus, and then they will live better than ever. Uh, Keith says, you plant the seed and the Holy Spirit takes over. Uh, I don't think the scripture quite bears that out. It's not the Holy Spirit takes over, but the Holy Spirit adds power to what we are pursuing. So I would, I would say there's a subtle distinction there to make biblically. Uh, I can't spell. By the way, I love that <laughs> I love that name. I can't spell with a K. Uh, exactly, Doug. I mean Mormons, out righteous Christians. Uh, nine one most. Yeah, in a, in a lot of uh, practical wisdom, uh, practical righteousness, they do, don't they? And yet, uh, it's all based on falsehood. All right. Well, there's my rant and my encouragement. There's so much wisdom to be gained here in the Scripture. Let's let's find it, and then speak those words because generations in the future can be changed because you and I live wisely and teach others to do so. All right, have a great weekend and uh, we'll see you back on Monday, Lord willing, to get back to Romans. Take care.